0: Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were puzzled, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago Thudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin... It will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name day after day in the temple courts and from house to house they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah this is the word of the Lord
1: let us pray may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. To be seated. If people had asked in 1968 which nation would dominate the world in watchmaking into the 21st century, the answer would have been a definite Switzerland. Why? because Switzerland had dominated the world of watchmaking for the previous 60 years. The Swiss made the best watches in the world and were committed to constant refinement of their skills. They led the world in discovering better ways to manufacture the gears, bearings, and mainsprings of watches. They even led the way in waterproofing techniques and self-winding models. By 1968, the Swiss made 65% of all the watches sold in the world. By 1980, though, they had laid off thousands of watchmakers and controlled less than 10% of the world market. Why? The Swiss had refused to consider a new development, the quartz movement. Ironically, it was invented by a Swiss. Because it had no mainspring or knob, it was rejected. It was too much of a change in approach for them to embrace. Seiko, on the other hand, accepted it and along with a few other companies became the leaders in the watch industry. The lesson of the Swiss watchmakers is profound. A past that was so secure, so dominant, was destroyed by an unwillingness to consider the future. It was more than not being able to make predictions. It was an inability to rethink how they did business. Past success had blinded them to the importance of seeing the implications of the changing world. They couldn't admit that past accomplishment was no guarantee for future success. Goethe wrote so many years ago, life belongs to the living and he who lives must be prepared for change. Now that was true for the Jewish people 2,000 years ago as they faced a new movement of God. And it's true of the church today as we journey forward in living out our faith In a changing world, the book of Acts has rightly been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit by some. It's the dynamic of the Spirit that spurs the new church on in its journey forward. And it's the same Spirit that today helps our church to journey forward in a time of change. In this passage, we see opposition build against what God is doing. Already, the apostles have been imprisoned for speaking out the gospel of Christ. Now, they're again arrested and imprisoned because they cannot stop spreading the word of God. Their words have been backed up by signs and wonders, and we thought a bit about that last week, didn't we, with Fabian? These signs and wonders were noticed. Crowds started to follow the apostles and to bring their sick and distressed to them for healing. So, as we see at the start of this passage, this inflames jealousy amongst the religious leaders in Jerusalem. The party of the Sadducees was particularly affected. As far as they were concerned, what the apostles were doing was threatening their power. They and the chief priests had the guardianship of the temple, the holy temple, and they saw the apostles' actions as dishonoring to God, God who was thought to dwell in this holy place. From this passage, I want to focus on three particular things That arise. First, there was a new thing happening. Second, there is a question that arises, where is it from? And a final question comes up, who do we obey? So first, we find that when the apostles are miraculously released from the jail, the angel of the Lord tells them, Tell the people the full message of this new life. So, what does this refer to? It's the absolutely new kind of life that's been started by the coming of Jesus to earth. It's the continuation to this new and powerful life that the coming of the Holy Spirit on Jesus' followers is bringing about. It's not just a way of life based on following certain rules. It's not just continually studying the teaching of Jesus. It's much more dynamic than that. It's real life brought to those who trust in Jesus by the presence of his Spirit in them. And this is what was seen in the life of the apostles people were noticing that there was something different about them. They could see it quite clearly in the actions of the apostles. But the apostles also had to speak words to explain clearly about what was behind their actions. God's word is dynamic. It's not a static text. This is what's so exciting about reading and studying the Bible. The Spirit makes it a dynamic living word that can speak directly to each of us. It's always amazing when we come to God's word and find it speaks clearly to something we're concerned about. Now, I found that quite often. I don't always express it out or or pray about it, but I've got something at the back of my mind And it's amazing how, when I open the Bible, God speaks through his word something into that situation. There's always something new that God can speak to us from his word under the guidance of his spirit. The apostles would have known their Hebrew scriptures, what we now call the Old Testament. Peter and the others, when they now preached, were able to show how God was bringing out the new and deep meaning of what was there. In his first sermon at Pentecost, Peter explains how the coming of the Holy Spirit on them was the start of the fulfilment of the prophecy of Joel. Similarly, when Peter addressed the Sanhedrin the previous time he was arrested, he quoted a psalm. He spoke of Jesus as the stone the builders had rejected, now becoming the capstone, and that was a quote from Psalm 118. The angel of the Lord wants the apostles to continue to bring the words of this new life to the people. They are not to hold back. They will speak of how the scriptures God had given Israel were now coming to fruition in a new And a dynamic way. And a crucial part of this newness of life they were to preach was the ready availability of forgiveness of sins. They need no longer carry out the rituals of animal sacrifice to atone for their sins. Jesus had made the ultimate sacrifice on their behalf. Those who were repentant could now seek God's forgiveness Jesus in fact that's exactly what Peter says to the Sanhedrin when he's eventually brought before them there's a bit of irony here in what we see happening the religious leaders have imprisoned the Apostles to stop them speaking in the temple so where do they find them when they want to call them to appear They're not in jail, but they're preaching in the temple courts again. It seems they just can't be kept down. And that leads to another whole discussion amongst these leaders. The discussion revolves around the question of where all this that the apostles are doing and speaking comes from. Peter still speaks boldly to them in a way that makes them even more angry. Jail hasn't had the desired effect of putting the apostles off from what they're doing. Perhaps executing them will stop this. Fortunately, there's one present who's able to speak some real sense to the rest. Gamaliel is called a teacher of the law, who is respected. This description of him is also backed up by other sources from the time. He was held to be one of the great rabbis of all time. At this time there were two different schools of teaching the law. One took a hard line that the rules had to be obeyed to the letter and anyone disobeying them should be put to death. The other school held that it's down to people's choices. Keeping the law is a matter of the heart. A heart turned to God will want to keep to his law. Gamaliel was this latter school of thought. Gamaliel takes the line that what is from God will not be able to be put down or stopped. What is from human philosophy will not ultimately be prevail itself against God's ways. He gives the example of previous uprisings that had caught a following. Theudas claims to be a prophet or Messiah figure and he gained a following for a while. But he was killed and his followers scattered as the promise of Thudis came to nothing. He also quotes Judas of Galilee, who led a rebellion against the authorities. He was also killed and his followers dispersed. In fact, it seems that at this time there were many false prophets and claimants to be messiahs. None of them proved to have divine power. Gamaliel is making the point that if a movement is truly of God, then it will flourish and prove itself. If it's just some crazed person with their own idea of their importance, then they will soon be found out to be false. He pleads to let the apostles go their way. If what they're doing and saying is not from God, it will eventually come to an end of itself But if it is genuinely of God, then it won't be stopped by attacking the apostles. God will continue his work, whatever. And the religious leaders will then find themselves fighting what is of God. Time and time again throughout the history of Christianity, there have been new ideas or prophecies proclaimed And it's then always difficult to sort out what is genuinely of God in all of this. The answer is to seek God in prayer and to see how these things measure up to God's word given to us in the Bible. God will never contradict himself. The Bible does give us a way of determining whether a prophecy is genuinely of divine origin if it is truly of God, it will come about. It will work out in a positive and upbuilding way for his people. Peter then, addressing the Sanhedrin, had said, "We must obey God rather than humans." Well this has always been a point of tension for Christians. When do we draw the line to obey God rather than human? authority. Paul in Romans chapter 13 urges his readers to submit to those put in authority over them. He says that they're appointed over us by God to bring about the good of those under them. And Jesus urged giving to Caesar what was due to him and giving to God what was due to him. Yet we see in many situations in the past and in the world today where the authorities do not rule for the good of the many. What are we to do? Many of our brothers and sister Christians face this dilemma currently. Here's just a couple of examples. An Iranian Christian convert and three Azerbaijani Christians have each been sentenced to 10 years in jail by a court in Tehran. The four believers were arrested last year when secret police raided a house church meeting in the town of Karaj, 30 miles west of Tehran. The three Azerbaijani Christians who spent four months in prison have since left the country... And were sentenced in their absence for establishing or directing groups that, quote, threaten the security of the country. <clears throat> the 46 year old Iranian Christian convert, Nazar Navad Goltapeh, was also convicted of the same offence and now faces 10 years behind bars in Iran's notorious prison system. Christians were targeted in incidents in at least five different states across India on Palm Sunday. Police arrested three pastors and their wives during a church service in Madhya Pradesh. In Haryana and Rajasthan, Hindu extremists disrupted church services and persuaded police to arrest Christians by falsely alleging that they had forced Hindus to convert to Christianity. In Tamil Nadu, local officials invaded a private prayer meeting in a pastor's home. Many today face oppression and injustice for following Christ. We're very lucky here, aren't we? We don't face that kind of oppression or injustice. Maybe we face some criticism or some... uh, Uh, things along the way that, uh, that may not be comfortable, but we're not persecuted in that same way. But like Jesus, those people, those brothers and sisters, don't react with violence. There are always ways open for peaceful protest. The governing authorities are definitely meant to keep law and order but we can see so often many go beyond what is for the good and actually oppose god's work here christians have to stand up for their faith and face whatever is thrown against them it's down to the rest of the church to support them in appropriate ways we are a worldwide church they are our brothers and sisters wherever they are When I learn what other Christians are faced with elsewhere, I'm often ashamed into admitting that I very rarely have been moved to write a letter of protest to my MP or send a letter of support to those wrongly imprisoned for their faith. The question of when it's right to oppose governing authorities or whether to submit to them is one we must wrestle with in the situations that we face. It's a time for much prayer and reflection with other Christians. Let's not just make our own decisions on that. The apostles were not cowed by the threats of the Sanhedrin. They were flogged, which wasn't a very pleasant experience. In fact, it could kill some. It was so severe. Despite that, they felt joy knowing that they were being obedient to God's will as they continued to speak and to act for him. Peter later writes to a suffering church in his first letter, It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. The Spirit spurred the apostles on to continue to be bold in proclaiming the gospel of Christ. While change is an inevitable part of life, so often For the church, as it was for the Jewish religion of the Apostles' day, it becomes something to oppose. It's not comfortable. We don't like change. We get comfortable in the way things are, and we find change too challenging to our comfort. Well, we now face change in the church at Sea Salter, don't we? Are we ready to embrace it? Or do we want to fight it? The changes we face should be something we are ready to support. All these things have been discerned as of God's will and vision for our moving forward. We face the big change in the leadership of the church with Steve moving on after such a long and successful ministry here. We have a change in uh, our approach uh, to mission locally as we seek to be alongside the people of Lucerne. We have the changes to the old church building, which should bring new potential for its future use in God's service. Are we ready to support these changes prayerfully? And in any other ways that we may feel able to, let us be a people responsive to the living God, guided by His Holy Spirit. Amen.